Over the last three weeks and continuing today, we've been going through a series of messages entitled The Choice is Yours. And we've been looking at the way that we can choose not to do something. We have an opportunity to make that same decision today in regards to this choice. This choice is one that every one of us, if not right now, you will face tomorrow, tonight, daily. It's one that you have to overcome for the rest of your life. It's one that the enemy likes to use to demobilize you. It's one that we have made excuses for. And in some circles, we even patronize it and say, well, I understand I'm that way too. Yet the truth of the matter is, it's one that really forces us to live a life way below our redemptive potential. In fact, we won't see the things that God intended us to do in our life. And some of us will leave our this journey called life far short because we've chosen to let this thing literally freeze us, paralyze us. You and I have a choice not to fear. We have a choice to say, I choose not to fear. Even though this fear wants to overcome me, I can make a choice and you can make a choice to not fear. The Bible is loaded over a hundred times with that phrase, do not fear, do not be afraid, fear not. And the reason it's in the Bible so many times is because we as humans will deal with it regularly and daily we must overcome the fear that wants to overcome us. We have all kinds of human fears. In fact, here are the top 10 human fears going from number 10 to number one. Number 10, Americans and Christians and people who live on planet earth have a fear of losing your freedom. And so we do all kinds of things in response to that. We have a fear, number nine, of the unknown. If we can't see how something's going to work out, or if we've never done that or seen that, we have a fear of the unknown, and that fear will keep us from stepping out. We have a fear of pain. And so we will even choose not to do things because we know it would be painful, not just physically, but even emotionally. We have a fear of disappointment, number seven. And so... In order that we won't be disappointed, we won't jump into relationships. We won't try that new venture because we might be disappointed. Number six, we have a fear of misery. Five, number five, we have a fear of loneliness. The fourth fear that we have is a fear of ridicule. If I step out, I'll be ridiculed for that. And so often we'll retreat from whatever that is. We have a fear, number three, of rejection. We won't do something or we won't jump into a relationship or put ourselves out there because we have a fear of being rejected. So we choose not to do it. The number two reason that we have for fear is we have a fear of death. We fear death. The number one reason, top of the list of fears that human beings have is a fear of failure. And so even outside death is even lower than failure. We choose not to do something because we have a fear of failure. Gallup poll even did a a study and, and began to break down from the general to specific of things that we're fearful of. People, our top list that was included was we have a fear of snakes. We have a fear of public speaking. Let me just pause there. That was one for me growing up, that the thought of standing in front of people and having to speak publicly, 
I feared that. I remember my, my first year in college, I had to take public communication because if you want to be a preacher, you got to talk in front of people. And I feared that. But by God's grace, overcame that fear. And God has chosen to use that my voice. People have a fear of heights. People have a fear of being closed in a small place. People have a fear of spiders. Anybody have a fear of spiders? People have fear of needles and getting shots at the doctors. People have a fear of mice. Let me just pause and think, think it. We fear this little thing that's that big. I have seen grown men stand on top of their countertops. <laughs> Seriously, when you think about it, that little mice, mouse. We have a fear of flying on airplanes, so we won't fly on airplanes. We'll drive to places, a fear that somehow it might go down. We have a fear of dogs. Some have a fear of thunder and lightning. Some have a fear of going to the doctor. Some have a fear of the dark. Fear can paralyze us. Why do you think that the Bible has so many commandments? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Why does the Bible instruct over and 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 over again, do not fear? Because the word of God knows that we will encounter things that we must walk through the fear. Faith feeds us. Faith overcomes fear. Faith is the polar opposite of fear. Faith says, I'm going to step out and do this even though all these things that want me to be fearful of doing this will not stop me. Faith pushes you through your fear. Let me just give you a very practical example because today is a, a, a big day for our men and, and our families at Grace Community. By the way, at our graduations, our, our wives and our children, our accountability partners will go with us. And when men graduate, their wives walk with them, their children walk with them, their accountability partners walk with them. And so when we go and they receive a band or, and, they, and, and get recognized, the whole family goes because that's who we're fighting for. It's not just the man being recognized, it's the family we're fighting for. About four years ago, there were about 15, 16 of us that met together here at Grace after our very first chapter of Fight Club. We gathered as a group, and and, and some of you in this room were part of that. We even gathered at 4 a.m. in the morning because we felt that God wanted us to, to develop this tool and this kit to be used by other churches. And so we got together, we had engineers, and we had our guys that were good with graphic design, and, and web guys, and, and guys that were just creative, and, and, and numbers guys, and finance guys, and all kinds of men. And we gathered out here in the cafe at 4 a.m. in the morning before men went to work. And I believe it was for a period of about six months. We gathered once a month on a Wednesday or Tuesday, Wednesday morning, and we began to put together this kit that we felt that God wanted us to put together so that we could offer Fight Club for other churches. Out of that and out of those meetings came this kit that now is offered in this website that was developed that churches all across our world literally can have this tool, this men's discipleship tool called Fight Club. And by God's grace, we have sold over 200 kits across our world to be used in churches for, to help men come alive in Christ. And we give God all the credit for that. But there have been some very unique things that have happened along this journey. This was not an unopposed journey. 
this was not an unopposed task. There have been many conversations along the way where people have come alongside. And, and, and by the way, great constructive criticism, and we've made some really good changes. But we've also had people come alongside, and I've sat with people, and others have sat with people that have said, we shouldn't do this. This isn't good. This isn't good for the local church, and this is why it isn't good. And I sat in a lot of meetings, and other people sat in a lot of meetings, and literally, there were moments where we could have, I could have let fear of this person who was opposed to this ministry thwart the forward movement of God. And let me just say, there were some really hard times, very hard times, some really difficult times, some tearful times, some very challenging times. And every encounter that we walked away from or I walked away from, I always went back to God and said, God, if you want this to continue, then Lord, you continue it. It wasn't unopposed. And there were moments where I could have let fear, or we could have let fear keep us from moving forward. But by God's grace and the goodness of God and the, 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 the courage of, of many men in this room, God continued to move this forward and it continues to reach out. I just want to give you an example. I have today the shirts on, and it's very familiar. Many of you wear these shirts, and it doesn't make us an elite club. It's just, it's just a shirt we wear. It's a graduation thing that we get, we earn together. And this shirt looks very familiar to every other shirt that you see in this room. But if you come close on this shirt, you'll notice it's in Spanish. It's not in English. And if you look real close, you'll see that the words the Fight Club, Nehemiah 4.14, is in Spanish. And if, you, if I turn around and you look at this shirt you will notice that it's in Spanish instead of English. And if you were to put an English shirt beside me, I could tell you what this says, because I, I can't read this. But I don't let the fear of not knowing Spanish stop me from wearing this. All that to say this, there was a man that had a heart for a Hispanic community and was leading a Hispanic church. And he wanted to take Fight Club to this Hispanic group. And you know what he did? Brian Bachman took and rewrote the whole Fight Club manual in Spanish. He rewrote the, 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 the manual in Spanish. He wrote assignments in the Spanish. And with him and Andy Jewett, our graphic designer, they developed the shirt that's written in Spanish, reaching people whose native language is Spanish. Can we praise God for that. We praise God for that. All that to say this. Had we not as a leadership team pushed through that fear of maybe someone leaving, someone upset, by God's grace, there's this group of people that would never have been reached with the Spanish version of Fight Club. Let me give you another example. About a year ago or so, there's a man in our church, and I won't put his name out there, that has a relative that's a missionary to Cuba. And this man was home on visit, and this man that comes to our church was a relative of his and began to tell him about Fight Club and how he could take this tool to Cuba and use this tool to reach men in Cuba. And while this man was here, guess what he took back with him to Cuba? A Fight Club kit to reach men in Cuba. We can praise God for that. Had we not stepped through, we wouldn't see that. 
Just a few weeks ago, we've been in conversation with a group of men that are in China. These men in China have a a desire to reach these Chinese believers, these believers that are in China. Some of them are in an underground way serving in a church. Some are above ground. And we've been in contact with these leaders in China. And just in the last few weeks, guess what's going to China? A fight club kit is going to China to reach Chinese brothers in China. Can we give God a praise for that? (laughs) On our last visit in to Iraq, Northern Kurdistan, we've connected with Pastor Malath in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church in, in Erbil. And prior to that last trip in, we gave them a fight club kit. On our last trip in, We took men who are all graduates of Fight Club, a chapter or many other chapters. And when we went to Erbil, we did a man's conference with the flavor of Fight Club in Erbil. And we drove up through northern Kurdistan and went to Duhuk and did a a man conference with the flavor of Fight Club. And while we were there and in the works is a desire to start a fight club charter in northern Kurdistan. Can we praise God for that? I tell you all this to say this. There was a moment in time, and by the way, it's still not unopposed on many levels. There was a moment in time where we could have made a choice to say, you know what? If we do this, and that means these people do this, and that person does this, and this happens, and we will get opposed the whole way through. Yet because of God's grace, and because of some boldness and courage of men all through this room and a leadership team here, God is taking this tool, and men's lives are being transformed day after day, week after week, year after year, and all praise to Jesus Christ. All of us in this room come to that crossroad where a decision needs to be made. Will we turn and retreat Will we believe the lie of the enemy? Will we run with the voice of the minority? Or will we, in some case, be the minority and press through when God has said, I want you to do something? Or will we be like this group of people I'm about to show you, who God had already said, I've given you this. And they still let fear demobilize them. Listen to me, Grace, please. You and I have a choice not to fear. Let's be those kind of followers. Grab your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. Numbers chapter 14. God was about to give this land to the Israelites. There have been spies already sent into the land. A group of 12 men went in, and 10 men came back and said it was too difficult, and two men said, let's go. Watch what fear did in this adventure. Stand with me, and we'll read it out loud together. Numbers chapter 14. 
Look at verses one to nine. Read them with me out loud. Ready, read. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in the front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You may have a seat. Fear does not come from God. Listen, if you get nothing else from this message today, please, get that one. Fear does not come from God. The emotion of fear that wants to choke you down, that wants to strangle your walk, doesn't come from God. So every time fear wants to demobilize you and keep you from stepping forward, remind yourself of this truth. God did not give us a spirit of fear. Paul tried to say this to Timothy. Timothy was a young and upcoming pastor. And and, and so Paul was pouring into him And Paul went to Timothy and said, Timothy, I want you to know something. When you go out on this journey called being a pastor, being called into ministry, I want you to know this. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul said this to young Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Why do you think Paul told Timothy that? Because he knew young Timothy would face things in his life that would quickly cause him, if he allowed it, to have fear demobilize him. Let me begin right there. The next time you worry, the next time anxiety wants to overcome you, the next time fear and anxiousness want to envelop you, stop and speak this truth to yourself. This fear is not from God. Why? Because we need to capture that thought and replace it with the truth. What's the truth? God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. The word power is the Greek word dunamis, dynamite. So picture, the next time fear wants to overcome you, just picture yourself as a dynamite stick and just light it. It will blow up your fear. The next time fear wants to envelop you, pause, stop. You heard me say this, but this is the time. Instead of listening to ourselves, speak to yourself. This is not from God. God did not give me a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline, and light the wick. 
You see, if we speak truth back, it pushes back darkness. Let me, let me, let, let, let me just grab this thought again. It's not from God, fear. Worry is not from God. Anxiousness is not from God. But you know what we do? We've gotten pretty good at, 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 at crafting these phrases that excuse our fear. And it goes something really neatly like this. We begin with these kind of phrases. We say, you know what? I really struggle with fear. You know what? Man, I really struggle with doubt. I really struggle with worry. And it's as if we want someone to come up to me and say, hey, I struggle too. Hey, give me a hug. Let me pat you on the back. I struggle too. Let's struggle together till Jesus raptures the church. Amen. Come on. Come on. Think about that for a second. Seriously, think about that. What kind of believer would patronize their mother, their brother, their wife, their father, their son, or their daughter and say, yeah, let me, I struggle in doubt. I I struggle with worry and doubt too. And because I do, God just wired me that way. So you know what? I'm going to be this way until the rapture occurs. Listen, no, that is sin. So the next time your friend, the next time you have permission and someone that you know, you grab a hold of him. I'm not giving you a hug. Listen, grab him by the rough of the collar and say, no, God has given you a spirit, not a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power of love. And so, there's a blood. You see, we need to speak truth. Too much patronizing goes on in the church. Yeah, I'm just wired this way. I'm just, I'm wired to worry. No, you're not. You're just believing a lie from the pit of the hell. Because my Bible says God didn't give that to you. Know what you did? You received something from the devil that you should have shut off. And so you're letting that demobilize you. But we neatly crafted these phrases. We say things like, it's hard for me to put myself out there, so I'm not going to do it. You're just wired differently. You don't struggle with doubt and fear and worry. You're one of those. I'm not one of those. Listen, if the living spirit and you are born again lives inside of you, the spirit of the living God, it's DNA, his DNA. His DNA is not fear. It's boldness, courage. You know, some of us say, well, that's my personality. Like, listen to me. Let, Let me just say, The Holy Spirit isn't an introvert, an ambivert, or an extrovert. The Holy Spirit is God, and he is afraid of nothing. And that same God lives in an introvert, an ambivert, and an extrovert. Don't excuse your fear and blame it on the Holy Spirit. We have no reason to fear. The Israelites had a choice to make here, to believe the truth or believe the lie that the 10 spies wanted to bring back. In fact, look back in 13, chapter 13, they went into the land and here's the report that the 10 brought back. Look at chapter 13 and verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are what more than we are? What's it say? Stronger. And they spread among the Israelites a what kind of report? 
about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. So what's the response, listen, of God's people? These 10 came back and said, it's too hard, it's too difficult. Listen, we go there, they're gonna kill us. They all look like Shaq and they're gonna eat us. Now, look at the response. Now, pause for a second. This is the same group that God had had the exodus out of. Think about it. Took the exodus out of Egypt. They, They exited out. This is the group that saw God do miraculous, life-changing miracles. And it wasn't very far removed from it. And now God says, I'm giving you that land. And now they see it and they're like, well, God, can you really help it? Look, this is what grown 50-year-old men did. Grown 40 and 50-year-old women. Look at their response after they heard this in chapter 14. Look what it says in verse one. That night, all the members, how many of the members? All the members of the community raised their voices and did what out loud? Are you kidding me? 30, 40, 50 year old men bawling their eyes out. Are you kidding me? These same men who had just witnessed God do the miraculous, parting water, witnessed God miraculously intervene and they, they give him this report, 50-year-old man crying. What up? I'm serious. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, men. If I come to your house and you're bawling your eyes out and I ask you why you're bawling your eyes out and you say, oh, I'm afraid. I'm going to grab you by the roof of your collar. I'm going to tell you, listen, God didn't give you that spirit. The enemy did. Now, man up and move on. Can you imagine the children looking at their grown moms and dads? Mom, what are you afraid of? (laughs) They're big people there. But mom, don't you remember? You told me the story about the exodus. Can't God do the same for us? Absolutely, yes. Here's the thing. We've read those stories too. In fact, we got a written account. You know what the Israelites had? They had a verbal account. It was passed on orally. Tradition passed on. They sat around campfires and told stories. Like, and, 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 and probably someone wondered, did that really happen? But we got the written, inspired, inerrant, 100% truthful Bible, and it says it happened, and guess what? It happened. And we can go there, and we can read the book of Exodus, and we can see all that God has done, and when he says he can take us to the land and get us there, bank on it. That's what faith does. It doesn't let fear demobilize. We can choose not to fear. In fact, look, look what God told them before they went into the land. Turn back to chapter 13. Look at verse 1. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 1. Look what it says. The Lord said to who? Who did he say to? 
Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. There were 12 of them. Which I am what? What's it say? Okay. Which I am what? Come on. I I didn't hear you. Which I am what? To the Israelites. He says, send them in. Here's what he said. It's yours. Your name's on the deed. If you go to the courthouse, guess what? It says that you own the property. He says, I've already given it to you. Just go explore. Take a good look because you're going to love it. The 10 of them came back and said, hey, big people, just don't go. And after they said, hey, big people, 50-year-old men. Oh, my goodness. I want to grab these guys by the ruff of their collar and say, no, 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 no. You must not serve the same God I serve. You must not have the same God living in you because the God that lives in me says he didn't give me the spirit of fear (laughs) or timidity, but a power, self-discipline, and love. So what do they say? Look, look, look at their response after he says, I've given the land. In chapter 13 and verse three, it says, so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them all out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders there. Back to chapter 14. Look at chapter 14. After they said all of this, look at verse three. They asked this question. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And I want to say, are you kidding me? They would rather go back and live in jail. They would rather go back and be in bondage. They would rather go back and be told every day what to do. They would rather go back and, and, and work wine in the wine press. They would rather have ball and chain than to walk in freedom and conquer and occupy a land filled with milk and honey. But are we any different? No, we're not. We're not any different. Think about it. How many of you are letting fear keep you from stepping out? Stepping into that new venture? Because you're fearful. You don't know how God's going to provide financially. You don't know. It's unknown. You don't know how difficult it's going to be. Maybe your wife's on the fence and your children are on the fence or maybe your husband's on the fence and you're letting their fear keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Hear me today. Just because God gives it to you doesn't mean it won't be difficult either. These guys, they were big. I thought, so what? They fall harder. Someone needs to stand up. And there were two men, Joshua and Caleb. They stood up. You see, too many Christians run to the familiar where everyone knows their name. How many of you are the same way? You read a truth in the Bible. You listen to a message. You, you, you observe a podcast. You, you hear a worship song. And you're ready to face your fear. And then someone says, this one voice says, you know what? That'll never work. <laughs> I tried that. It didn't work for me. You know what I say? Well, it might not have worked for you, but I'm giving it a shot. Because God has called me to it. Some of you would rather go back to a listless slavery relationship 
You would rather remain quiet and not address the problem at work. You would rather run back to the miserable state that you came from because it's just too hard to walk out in faith. It will take too much of your time. You might be all alone. And so you know what we do? Here's what we do. Here's what Christians do. We begin to package this fear in ways that it sounds very righteous. And here's how it goes. Here here, here are ways that you'll even package fear. And, 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 And you know what you do? Even your thoroughness and your caution will cover up your fear. And you'll say, well, we need to be very thorough about this. Let's wait. Let's give it 747 tests. Let's make sure in five years from now that we work towards that. And God says, go! Five years ago. Well, let's, let's, let, let, let's just be thorough. And so we set a meeting after 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 meeting. And we say, well, we're thorough about this. And yet God said, go 12 months ago. Some of us use caution. They've got to be cautious. Got to have our I's dotted and T's crossed or whatever it is. Just keep, be cautious, be careful, be careful, be careful. Be careful. And we think like we're being wise. And God said, go. Like, I don't know how it's going to work out, but just, just, just go. Just go. Wherever you set your foot, it'll happen. Yet some of us, we have these perfect phrases that, that thoroughness and caution or your personality. So what do they do? Look, look, look at their response. They, they, they bawled all night. They cried all night. They woke up with red eyes and they got the visine out for their eyes and they made a decision. Wouldn't that be a great decision after that kind of night? Verse four. And they said to each other, what did they say? We should choose a what? Come on, help me out. Chapter 14, verse four. And they said to each other, we should choose a what? And go back to what? Doesn't that sound like a good plan? Are you kidding me? They got together all these whiners and criers and went to the whiners table and the grumbling table and they sat down and and they drank some coffee and said, what do you think? It's been a hard night. It's been difficult. Can you believe they're that big? What do you think we should do? We need a new leader. And so they looked around the table. They, they, he, he cries pretty good. <laughs> you be our leader, please. They were ready to throw away the faith-filled leader because he had too much faith and they had too much faith. And they would rather run back to Egypt, to their slavery, to their comfort zone, to where they knew everyone's name than to step out in faith. They were ready to toss the leader. Why? Because he had too much faith. Breaks my heart when I see this. They're ready to throw out the leader because, and change camp, because they thought their leader had too much faith because they were fearful. Let me just tell you something. Listen to me. It's going to happen if it isn't happening right now. Someone else will try to place their fear on your plan. There's giants in the land. Don't go there. And listen to me. Sometimes it can be your mom and dad because they want to keep you around. And it's their fear of losing you and not being able to hug the grandbabies. 
And they say, hey, stay here. We feed you. We give you hugs. We got free babysitting. Where can you get that? Some of us would rather get free babysitting than to follow in faith after Jesus Christ. You see, the goal is never to get to a place where you have arrived. Think about that for a second. It's not like somehow that we're in this journey that God stops stepping us out or pushing us forward. You should never, and I should never be in a place like, all right, we finally arrived. Like, finally, that was the last faith decision I needed to make. Finally. I've arrived. It's not like you get this boarding pass when you're flying on a jet plane. And if you look at that, it says time of departure and it says estimated time of arrival. And sometimes we carry those like, all right, this is departure. I'm leaving in six months. And when we get there, we think, woo, I finally made it. Look at me as a Christ follower. Listen, for the rest of our lives, we should be grabbing boarding passes. Doesn't 1 Peter 3.15 says, be prepared, be ready to give an answer. It's like, all right, where's it at? Sign me up, I'm flying, God, take me there. We should never be at a point where we have arrived. You should always be booking a new flight. Caleb booked a new flight at 80 years old. Look at verse 5. Chapter 14, look what it says. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down after they wanted a new leader in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land. And, they, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through was good and exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey and giving it to us. And so literally they're looking at the crowd and say, wait a minute, you bunch of whiners. God gave it to us. We don't need a new leader. Let's go do what God called us to. He was trying to push them forward and show them they had nothing to fear. But we know that faith trumps fear. And it grows, listen to me, it grows by believing and exercising it. You know, Romans chapter one and verse 17 says, the righteous live by faith. Faith grows by exercising it. So you start out with something small and you take a faith step. And once you take that faith step, it goes into your faith reservoir and you take another step, it goes into your faith bank, and you take another step, and it goes into your faith bank, and what happens is your faith begins, because you're exercising it, it gets stronger. It's like a muscle. If you were to do curls, it would build your biceps, and so you work that muscle. You don't go into the weight room if you've never lifted weights before and try to curl 600 pounds. Like some of us, I wanted that big adventure. I need that big thing. Let me, send me God. You don't walk in if you're squatting and put 850 pounds on the bar and say, today I'm going to squat. I've never squatted before. Today I'm doing 850. You start with something that pushes you, stretches you. And as you continue to work that, oh, 150. Oh, 250. Oh, 350. Oh, 450, oh, 650. 
And so you exercise your faith. And before you know it, the principle in the Bible says, when we are faithful in little, he allows us to be faithful in what? Much. Some of you just need to start somewhere. Just start. All right, Lord, I'm gone. And you get out there and you wake up the next day and your muscles are sore. It was painful. Why? Because you worked a muscle that has atrophied for a very long time. And as you build those muscles, that faith, it grows. Listen, and there should never be a time that you're not building your faith. Why do you think Caleb at 80 years old wanted to take the land? Why? I'll tell you why, because he did this. For his whole life. And by the time he got to 80, piece of cake, I'm in. He never stopped grabbing a boarding pass. But Satan's lies are the basis for our fear. Behind every irrational fear is a lie that must be identified. Whether you believe it or not, you are heavily influenced by fear. Some of you believe some of you have walked away from stuff because of fear. Some of you need to get back up and say, no more, not on my watch. You see, we trust man more than we trust God. Watch what happens, chapter 14. Look at verse 11. We'll begin with verse 10. So they hear all this, and then look what happens in verse 10. So the whole assembly talked about what to Caleb and Joshua? Stunning them. Are you kidding me? Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the, oh boy, like, think about this for a second. They're, 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 stone them, stone them, kill them. And then what's it say? Then the glory of the Lord appeared. Can you imagine they're ready to throw something? It was like, whoa, God's here. Don't you love it when God shows up? Dude, they're my boys. Listen, don't touch my boys. Because if God is with us, who could ever stand against us? Can you imagine that picture? I'm just picturing them. They're whining. They're picking up stones and then... And then you heard Charlton Heston, God is here. (laughs) Look what it says. I mean, read read on here. Look what it says. But the whole assembly thought about stoning, and then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long would these people treat me with contempt? How long would they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed for them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Faith focuses on God. Fear focuses on your problems. Listen to me. The Bible is implicit about fear and worry and anxiety. Listen, this this, this isn't Jim Brown talking. This is the Bible talking. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything, do everything. Emphasis on everything. Without grumbling or complaining. Then Paul said this in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not worry about anything. Emphasis on anything, anything, anything. That's the word of God. 
So if you worry about anything, 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 you're sinning. If you fear not, and the Bible says fear not, and you fear, you are sinning. Fear is not a chance for you to grab other friends that fear and to hug each other and say, I, I, I struggle with fear and doubt and worry too. Come on, let's, come on, give me a hug. It is sin. So go sin with your friend when you do that. Verse 9 says, do not be afraid of them. I find it interesting because God had already told him he would give him the land. Every opportunity to be afraid is an opportunity to trust in Jesus. I've often wondered, here's how my mind thinks sometimes, you know, this, this, these are Jim's just crazy thoughts. I've often wondered, I know what happens at the Bema seat. And praise God, it's a place that we're not judged for our sin, but we stand before him and, and we're rewarded for the good deeds we've done. But you know, you've heard me say this. I wonder if prior to that meeting or after that meeting, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that, dearest, but here's how I think, and it motivates me to, to chase after Jesus. Like somehow we, and he says, Here, here's how I could have used you. Like, he, he, but you rendered yourself ineffective because of your health choices. Or, and, I, and I often wonder, like, if, if there's this point when we're standing before God, it's some kind of this journey, maybe he's just speaking to us now that he says, he says here, 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 here's all this land that I, that I gave to you, yet you didn't claim it. Like, I already bought it. Already gave it to you. Here's this job. Here, 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 here's this business. Here, here's this friend that, that, could, that, 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 that you can make that will help you go on this journey. Here's, here's a marriage that I restored. Here, here, here's this for you. Here's all these things. Listen, that your name's on the deed. Like if you're a realtor, he's saying, here it is. Here's the house. And if you ride by this house, he shows us all these pictures. And on the sign, it says, sold, 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 sold. Sold. And then he opens up this book and he said, who's the owner of that? Who, who owns the deed that? There it is, Jim Brown. Sold, sold, sold. And then I wonder, he says, listen, that's, that's all the land, that's all the things that I had already given you, but you didn't claim it because of your fear. I found it interesting that even in Indiana, there's all these unclaimed pieces of property. Like right now, t- take a look at this slide here. Like even in Indiana, these are unclaimed property available by region. Like, no one's claimed it. Somebody owns it. And, I mean, just, just look at Northwest Indiana, Lafayette, Terre Haute, Evansville. They're, they're southeast. They're central. Hundred plus million dollars. Look, look num- number of properties. Over 2,000. Pro- Fort Wayne, 31 million unclaimed property. And it's like, 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 I look at that and think, why would someone claim their property? Like, someone's got a deed to it somewhere. Somebody owns that property. And Jesus tells us, there's some property for us that's been unclaimed. And you know what we let to do? We let the devil steal it with fear. And these Israelites, he said, that property, your, your name is on it. I love in the old days, the Western days, like they, would, they would line up on horses and they would basically put this starting line. And out west, they, they had these signs and these settlers. And, and, and it's like the first one to the property claims it. It's like they get on the horse again and you would see their eyes, beady eyes. It's like, all right, one, two, three. And these guys on these horses, and they go out and they would stake the ground. This is mine. Listen, and you say, boom, that's mine. Listen to me. God's already been on the horse. He's already staked the ground. And some of you refuse to claim your property. Why? 
<laughs> it's too difficult. How will this impact my family? What will that person, they might leave the church. God's ready to wipe them out. And Moses said, no, God, don't wipe them out. Look at verse 13. Moses said to the Lord, if you wipe them out, then the Egyptians will hear about it by your power. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. And they have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people and that you, Lord, have seen them face to face and that your cloud stays over them. And that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, he's begging, Lord, please don't. Leave it unalive. The nations who have heard this report will say this about you. Lord was not, was not able to bring these people into the land he promised on his oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you declared. The Lord is slow to anger. It's like, Lord, please, abounding in love, please, God, forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the unguilty punished or guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation in accordance with your great love. Forgive the sins of these people, please, God. Just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. He's pleading, Lord, please, Lord, please don't take them. Please, please, God, give them another chance. Please, 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 Lord. You see, when we're in those moments when we believe that we can't do it, we need to stop right there and remind ourselves of this truth. Listen to this truth. God is for me until the end of every second, minute, hour, day, week, month, and year of my life. So no one, no thing, and no plan can ever stand against me. You see, you have to speak that out. You need to capture that fearful thought and say, if God is for me, then no one can stand against me. Trust is an act of our will. There are consequences for fear. Now, here's the kicker around this room today in in, in the link and across the internet. There are people in this world who daily walk in worry, doubt, and fear, and anxiety, and somehow believe that's the normal operating procedure of a Christ follower. Listen to me. It's the normal operating procedure of a Satan follower. There are consequences to our sin. Look what happens. I mean, look look, look at the consequences. Verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them, just as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times. He was a very patient God. 10 times they tested him. Not one of them will ever see the land I what them. On oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Verse 24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me, how? Wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you what? And what did they say? What did they say? (laughs) If we go in there, we're going to die. If we go in there, we're going to die. And they're going to take our kids as plunder. And what did God say? I'm going to do the very thing that 
you did, that you spoke. Listen, we reap what we sow even with our words. Look what it says in verse 29. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Tell them, every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. In other words, teens and less, they're going to go in. They're going to get plundered. They're not going to die. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with the uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, guess what? I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in the wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your what? Unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. Breaks my heart. They got what they wanted. They die. The children get taken as plunder. And what do they do? They become shepherds. Instead of kings and queens. My hope is this, and I say this just to give credit to the Lord. My hope is this one day, that down the road, the descendants, I dare not want my descendants down the road, a third and fourth generation to pass on all this sin of their forefathers, of Jim Brown and Ann Brown. My hope is this, that one day down the road, that, that, that this legacy that somehow by God's grace, he's wanting to work through Ann and I down the road. They say, let me tell you about my great, great, great grandma. Let let, let me tell you about my great, great, great grandpa. Let let, Let me tell you about my great grandma and my great grandpa, Joshua, Hannah, and Isaiah. Let, let, Let me tell you about my grandma and my grandfather. They stood for Christ when no one else did. And we are reaping the benefits of their faith. And we didn't get taken as plunder. And we didn't have to become shepherds wandering around. But we were able to be used by God in great ways. Because my great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother said, Not on my watch. How many of you, what kind of legacy are you planning? Only Joshua and Caleb survived. Why? Because they chose not to fear. Right now, some of you will never see the promised land. And the sign is out in the yard, says sold. And the deed has your name on it. And yet you refuse to claim your property. Why? Because of fear. And the devil has stolen your property. And you let him. I love what happens. We'll close with this. Just turn to Joshua chapter one. So Joshua, he he goes into the land and look at Joshua chapter one. Look what happens next. So how does Joshua grow? What's this next generation going to look like? Look at Joshua chapter one. It says in verse one, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to what to them? Give to them. I will give you every place where your foot, where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory extend. It's just all across. And then he says this, verse five, no one will be able to what against you? Come on, help me out. Look at Joshua 1, 5. All the days of your life. 
As I was with Moses, so I will be with who? I will never what you, nor what you. Then he says, now, now listen, Joshua, be strong in what? Because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to your ancestors to give them. Verse seven, then he says again, be strong and how kind of courageous? Very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant has given you. Then he says this, he says, do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Then he says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on day and night. Stay in tune. And then he says in verse nine, have I not commanded you be strong and what? Do not be what? Do not be what? For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you what? So look at verse 10. What's Joshua do? Look what, look what it says. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go! And the people followed and trusted Joshua. Here's some practical ways to overcome fear. Like, I think we need to have something that helps us. Here they are. This is what helps me. When fear wants to envelop me, this is what I do. Maybe this will help you. Write your fear down and pray for boldness to overcome it. What is it? What's that fear that's coming over you? I just, just write it down. <laughs> just write it down. You got to put it in front of you. You can't, you can't hope it goes away. Just, just write it down. And then, know what you need to do? You need to speak 2 Timothy 1.7. God did not give me a spirit of fear, but a boldness, courage, and self-control, and power, and love. Secondly, realize that most fears don't come true. How often do we think, oh, if I do that, then this is going to happen. Then I won't have this, and I'll go down this path, and my kids will die. Thirdly, do the thing you fear. Just do it. Just do it. Listen, the only way you're going to overcome it is just doing it. See, some of us are afraid to fail, though. We're afraid, well, what if I fail? That's the number one fear, even more than death. Just do it. Just, if God, you, you believe God's calling you to it, listen, just do it. Fourthly, be curious in your faith. Squelching fear opens the door for God's wonder. Like, wake up each day and say, Lord, just show me new and great and mighty things. Lord, do in my day, Habakkuk 3, 2, what you did in their day. Lord, I'm, I, the awe and wonder, I want to see it. Lord, just use me, Lord. Just give me opportunities. Lord, I'll, I'll just do it. Like, be curious in your faith. Fifthly, trust that God can do it. Sixthly, faith grows by feeding it. Fear dies by starving it. Listen, start somewhere. 100, 200, 300, and when you're 80 years old, (laughs) 1,000. Oh, Lord, give us the faith of Caleb and Joshua. There is no doubt in my mind that there are people in this room that are on the precipice of giving in to fear. I pray, God, that the voice of cautiousness and the voice of thoroughness and the voice of, I'm just wired that way, the voice that says, I can't, will be replaced with, you can, God, you can. Oh, Lord. 
Never once in this journey, we can look back like Moses did. We can look back on the battlefield. We can see where you came through. We can see time after time after time after time. Lord, let us spend time today reflecting back to what you had done so that when we face this new encounter that we need to walk through, we can say, Lord, you never once left our side. So let's go through it. In Jesus' name, amen.